0: Welcome to Electronically Yours
1: with Martin Ware. Hi, it's Martin here. Electronically Yours as always. bit of building work going on today, so I apologise for the noise in the background. Uh, Well, today's guest is uh, a super interesting producer, musician, covers just about all the genres that you could possibly imagine. He also paints, he takes photographs. He's a creative whirlwind. Uh, His name's Youth or Martin Glover or Martin Youth Glover um, I've bumped into him from time to time over the years but I've never had a chance to really sit down and talk to him and this uh, has proved to be a very good decision that we did this because I think you'll find this speechifying to be quite uh, gratifying uh, so here is Youth <laughs> Yeah, not bad. Thanks. Yeah,
0: great. Where are you? Are
1: you in Venice? No, uh, this is... um, I moved out of my big family home uh, Uh, a month ago, and I moved down to Marylebone Lane, uh, which is um, on the 5th floor overlooking Wigmore Street. Far out. Yeah, it really is. It's a beautiful place. It's like... uh, It's like Inception, I think. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, they're wandering through the city, and uh, yeah. but I always say to London, uh, I always say to people in London, look up, you know, because that's where the beauty is, yeah, know, the tops of the buildings and the gables and all that stuff. Anyway,
0: yeah,
1: that's where I like where
0: are you at? I'm in Wandsworth, South London, uh, in my house, my home. So, uh, <laughs> right. but uh, a lot of friends of mine have moved back to London after moving out a year ago, and they're so missing it so much that they got fed right. up and they come back you know
1: they're coming back
0: Um, but it is good actually I'm really enjoying it because I was uh, for the last year and a half I've been in Spain uh, in my studio house there in Andalusia really whereabouts
1: whereabouts Uh, just south of Granada do you know amazingly my daughter I've just been talking to her um, my daughter's in Estepona she lives there at the Uh moment doing an MA so I know that part of the world that, that Andalusia, quite well. Yeah. I love it down there. It's
0: well, beautiful. if I'm over, next time you're over, give me a shout. If I'm there, come up for a lunch or a hangout.
1: Oh, that'd be nice.
0: A- yeah, I've got a fantastic studio. It's like a it's a it's a it's uh it's, it's a copy of Studio Two from Olympic, you know, built oh. by the same guy, um it's a real state-of-the-art place, I've got like 100 acres, no neighbours. And I was there pretty much solo throughout lockdown, I had the best time. But <laughs> coming August, I was a bit anxious, I was thinking, God, you know, it's Freedom Day, everybody's got COVID, what's going to happen? But I've really enjoyed it, I must say, I've, I've had a great time. So I'm going to be yeah, spending yeah. a lot more time here now as well, I think.
1: I think yeah. so. I mean, I I, I was looking at potentially even buying somewhere for my daughter, and it's like, you know, it's like a fifth of the cost of London, isn't it? It's ridiculous. I mean, you can
0: get a decent house with four acres, um, two, three-bedroom house, like, so €50,000 near me, you know.
1: Oh, my God. That's so cheap. Anyway, thank you for doing this, by the way. Bye. And, um... <laughs>
0: That's a serendipity. So many people have suggested I do it, and then we've spoken before about about it. I think, and uh, yeah.
1: yeah. Well, it's good, and uh, I now know everything about your career because I've just been doing an intensive course in in a million things that you've done. <laughs> you're 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 like the Jules Bunny, aren't you? You never stop. Well, um, I'm quite driven, as they say. Um,
0: <laughs> but do you have? Do you still have that apartment in Venice?
1: Well, funnily enough, I don't because I had to sell it for uh, financial reasons a few years ago. But now uh, I'm I'm actually now we downsized. I have got the money to buy somewhere else, and actually the price the house prices have gone down in, in Venice. Venice so, yeah, so it's actually quite straightforward to wow. um, yeah. to buy somewhere out there now. And I've got an Irish passport, so that's not a problem. Right and and uh, so it's great. Yeah, I'm, I'm so I'm basically within three or four months. I'm going to buy a new apartment there on the Giudecca. Do you know Venice? A
0: little bit, a little bit. Well, yeah. I love, you
1: know, yeah. It's cool. Um, so let's start at the start, at the start. Um, tell me about your early influences musically and before killing Joe. Yeah,
0: well, I'm six. So I was born in 1960, at the end of 1960, so I grew up in the 60s, you know, I'm a j- probably like you, you must be around the same age, I would have thought. Um,
1: I'm, I'm f- 56, yeah. Oh, born. yeah,
0: younger, wow, right, there you go. So, um, what, you are 56 or are you born? No, no, I,
1: I'm 65, I was born in 50.
0: Oh, I, okay, okay, right. So, yeah, it's a big difference, isn't it? From- i found people who are born in the 50s and people who are born in the 60s, even though I'm right at the beginning of the 60s, it's a kind of different mindset a bit. Um, but, yeah, I love growing up in the 60s. You know, um, I, I spent the early years in Slough, near Slough. Um, my mum was a model, drove a Mini Cooper S. My well, dad oh, was nice. a bit, you know, and there was a wild time. I remember very happy days. And I suppose the first big influence musically um, was uh, my dad bringing Sergeant Pepp's back in 67. I think oh, that just yeah. completely absorbed me, blew me away. I cut the things out, stuck them on my jump, and went around the, the playground, and uh, I played it to death. And then... Then my mum was playing, you know, all the 60s pop stuff, Sugar, Sugar, you know, yeah. the Trogs, all of that. In, and began my sort of love of pop, really, I suppose. And then in my young teens in the 70s, I progressed into uh, Led Zeppelin and Sabbath and the heavy, heavier rock, a little bit of prog rock. I kind of avoided a bit of that, you know, I did buy Supertramp, Crime of the Century, though. <laughs>
1: um,
0: but I couldn't like—I couldn't quite my head around Kim, Crimson, and certain things. Spirit were a bit tricky for me, but Hendrix, I love. And then I suppose, but Alice Cooper, glam, all of that—you know—was really kicking in. I was in the glitter fan club, you know. I just loved the glitter. Band.
1: Yeah, me too.
0: And uh, we, I mean, I just loved all of that. And then, you know, I, I, I suppose I was starting to get into singer songwriters like Dylan a bit with Desire and things like that. And then suddenly I got to 14. I was going out to clubs, to discos.
1: Yeah.
0: Getting into, I, I became a soul boy, you know, and I. Um, Me too. Got rid of my. Uh, Budgie jacket and Brutus shirts and wearing, <laughs> you know, tight red corduroy jeans and winkle pickers and Bowie bags and going to discos and jazz. first disco I tried to go into was in Reading and my mum was in Reading. They were playing Rock Your Baby, George McCrae in the club. guy at the door said, uh, you're not old enough. And I said, ah. I've never been before. He goes, You're not old enough, come back here. And I had to go to the phone box in the foyer, phone my mum up, and say, Can you pick me up? They won't let me in. And that re- haunted me ever since. I love it though. Sometimes I mix it in with um suicide um uh baby. Uh, I mean, well, I- I Frankie working
1: off and all that stuff
0: oh Frankie cheers up somehow sherry a sherry or something Sherry,
1: sherry, cherry
0: yeah and uh, yeah I love detailing that out now and uh, yeah an amazing track and gave me a taste for wanting more um, and then I then about then I was living up my dad's in London and then I was going to global village countdown crackers uh Lacy Lady, all those places, the royalty, had a little posse of friends, and we just go to all the soul boy, even the old all dayers, you know, and yeah. high ten, the Brit Funk thing. So I, uh, you know, my favorite of that genre was that uh, kind of fat back band meets and uh, James Brown. You Can know, just
1: tell um, you, my fa- my yeah. favorite. I think the funkiest track of all t- of all time is yeah. uh, Do the Bus Stop by the Fatback Band.
0: Yeah, incredible. I remember, it, it gives me shivers thinking about that. And Yum Yum, wow. Um, yeah. That captured the vibe for me of 76, I think. I wasn't a first-wave punk, I was still a soul boy. Many of the London first-wave punks have been soul boys, but I kind of missed that very first wave, and... Um, I called it at the end of 77 a bit, and uh, some of my soul boy friends. you start seeing people coming to the clubs dressed in bin liners and jelly sandals, <sighs> and people say, oh, you've got to come to the Rocks. It's this new club, and it's punk, and it's all this rock. And I was like, oh, I, don't, I don't really <laughs> – so that's not really what I'm into. And then eventually I went down the, uh, the Vortex, I think, was one of the oh, first okay. – beat yeah. crackers. And, uh, and that was a Tuesday night or a Monday night. And, and that just blew me away. And then I really started getting into the, you know, the records, the Damned, New Rose. Uh, yes. Those were my first punk singles. And Pistols, of course. I was very much a Pistols. In London, there was a big divide between, you were either Clash or Pistols a bit, you know. Unless you're Don Letts and you could straddle both, you know. But um, yeah. I was definitely pistols and clash and uh but i love the clash as well of course and uh and that and i loved i loved the energy of it and the look of it and but very quickly i i started i joined a was supposed to go to art school joined a band instead and ended up doing a 32-day tour with the adverts and the saints where we were third on the bill and then i had a residency at eric's in (laughs) liverpool And I sort of cut my teeth with that. I had a couple of other sort of punky-type bands, and then I actually got spotted by Jock McDonald and joined the 4B2 with John oh, Lydon's yeah. brother. And I pretended to be Sid's brother, and we got a big deal with Ireland and made a bit of money. And record kind of raised the top 40, and I was actually... Vivian Goldman, the great journalist, a very old friend of mine, describes it on her Wild Dub compilation. It's the first proto-world dub punk mashup, because it had this disco bassline drums, and then Leiden's dad playing fiddle, you know, is this our fiddle player. And, and, uh, you know, and and some sort of post-punk guitars. It was pre-pill but it was a little pill I mean Leiden yeah, produced, yeah. I produced it so yeah, yeah.
1: once what, I got, um, were you we're sorry were you friends with John
0: I became friends from that moment with him and i had right. been I was living in a bed sitting I was caught with Alex Patterson and John oh. around the corner in Gunter Grove and he invited me round and I'd gone round with Jock and, and Vivian and, and I started going out there every night and hanging out. And he was in this sort of siege mentality. It was just after the pistols had split up. He was starting to put pills together and he had uh, Keith in the basement and, and he'd have his little soiree every night, Don Laps, Vivian, loads of cool cats be coming. But he couldn't really go out because he kept getting attacked but we just get some red stripes in and a bit of speed and stay up listen dub seven inches like till four or five in the morning and then I crawl and that became that was my that was my art school education was Guns to grow really and very quickly i would already just started killing joke then so that's right. really informed what we were going to do with killing joke and i made sure we had a lot of disco and dub elements in the rhythm section with the, with those early singles and throughout, really. Um,
1: so what? What? Right. Um, uh, really, I was going to say, what really fascinates me about listening to the wide range of stuff that you've been involved is in is that it's it's this kind of you occupy this this uh, no man's land between kind of commercial music, uh, popular music, and kind of outsider music. And I think that's a really cool place to be, yeah. personally. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's very, it's very tricky to balance those out, you know, um, and you know, find that equilibrium between those, you know, polar opposites sometimes. Yeah. But I've always been. I've people accuse me of being a bit genre blind, and uh, I'm and genre
1: blind too. Yeah. <laughs>
0: And that was a little more unusual back then, but now everyone's a bit like that, you know, and everybody takes yeah. a bit of this and a bit of that. But I was doing it quite overtly from an early age and, um, you know, not even considering it too much. It was just where I was coming from, really. And, uh, you know, And if I found, uh, of course, at the time, you know, when we were doing psych or early killing disco bass, I wanted to sound like Bernard Edwards, you know. Whenever I played it back, I was like, oh, close, but no cigar. But then the punk fans would go, wow, that's fucking amazing. You're my Jimmy Page or something. (laughs) Somebody else's context. My mistakes became their favourite bit. You know, I've had to learn that over a long time period of making records that actually it's the mistakes that count
1: <laughs> oh yes no. i completely agree yeah. i mean one of the things that really influenced me in the um, in the 70s was uh brian eno talking about the beauty of randomness in recording uh, just one oh, one yeah. sec i've got i've got a workman in hold on Okay, just press the doorbell, yeah? Cool. Yep. This is all part of the flavour of the podcast. Okay, Martin.
0: Hang on. Just... Come on up. Are you done... Finish. Hang on a sec, Martin. I've just got a... Tina's just just (laughs) leaving. (laughs) This is great. Oh, it's old, isn't
1: it? Podcast gold. (laughs) <laughs>
0: yeah. uh, oh, really good. That's good to hear. You've we, uh, done some great ones, man. Really enjoying
1: it. I know, they're good, aren't they? And, uh, yeah, really
0: great. And some, a real Tony Visconti's is my favourite,
1: I think. With who? Tony Visconti was, was Oh, my yeah, favorite. Tony, yeah.
0: You know, I started this magazine last year in lockdown called Moo, Mu, M-U. All right. And We've done three issues now Sold them all out and Incredibly Hang on
1: Right All grift to the mill Uh, Um, i was talking about uh, You were talking about Your latest project And your uh, Fanzine And all that stuff
0: Oh the the fans Magazine Move Yeah Um, And uh, Managed to get um, And uh, Yeah He's such a He's such a dude Isn't he yeah. You think yeah records he's made it's just
1: oh my god I, I said to him 12 out of my top 20 records ever uh were produced by tony visconti you know so yeah just, just t-rex alone if that's all he'd ever done you know well,
0: yeah yeah i was gonna say it's not even the Bowie; it's the t-rex as well isn't it yeah um but uh yeah i love visconti what he does yeah and
1: it's yeah. great making records now isn't it yeah yeah i've got a question for you i've got a question um what's what is your favorite most commercial record that you think you've done
0: uh, that's uh, well um probably like you i don't spend a lot of time listening to the records i've made
1: no i don't really
0: there's a great interview with uh, scott walker on a documentary and he's I think he just finished Tilt or something and he had Simon Draper as head of Virgin down to play it back to him and Simon goes um, he, play, he plays the first track and Simon goes oh it's amazing Scott oh, it's just a little loud do you think we can have the volume down a bit and Scott oh, you know the thing is Simon you know I spent three years making this record four years he goes 12 hours a day seven days a week he goes and this is The only time I'm going to ever listen to it, now it's finished. (laughs) And I'd rather play it loud. (laughs) He's like, yeah, go ahead. So I'm a bit like that. Once I've made it and listened to it, I'm like, I totally let go. And let's let's get on, move on to the next one, you know. So I don't spend a lot of time um, reflecting on what I've done in terms of what's favourite. Possibly, you know, um, I'm not... (laughs) That's another great quote, Harry Dean Stanton. So I was asking him, you know, in a, some Tarantino movie, he plays the father, and somebody had asked a question to him and said, um, do you think that character ended up the right way? Do you think the story it should have gone another way or this and that? And he just went, I don't, don't give a fuck. <laughs> 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 some, <laughs> some, uh, nor do I. Some of my favourite records, some of the least successful ones I've made, but obviously, right. the most successful ones like Bitter Sweet Symphony. I'm, I'm, I'm. I listen to those when they come on the radio now. I'm like, I pinch myself. I just think, wow, that's so amazing. Not only because it's just a solid, gold, fantastic record, but because of the process. You know, Richard hated that when we started recording. But banned me from recording it or overdubbing on it. And he really just would have fallen out of love with it. And I had to do so much of it with stealth and cunning and. Round the corners and then represented to him when it sounded amazing. I've tried to even got the strings on it. I asked the string section to do me a favour and let me do the strings with that invoicing and all this stuff. But in the end, he, when when I played the hit to him, and he he was like, "Oh, that's incredible!" and and then, and then he he kind of fell back in love with it. And you know, then it became his you know biggest hit. And uh, I just think, wow, you know. Um, all those you know extra miles of a broken class that like you call yeah. what it's like as a producer to, to, you yeah. know about it's not even about whether you're right or they're right it's just about getting the record right you know and getting the music right and when it does come together and you you've and, it, and, and it, it works it's an amazing feeling isn't it it really is
1: well I always say to people that there's a point in recording a uh, recording. When you're writing in the studio in particular, and you're, you're making the arrangement up on the fly with a solo artist and you've got the bare bones of the song. But then I always say there's this incredible moment where it stops sounding like a recording, starts sounding like a record. Mm. And it's a beautiful thing. And it's, you know, like you, I've been doing it for nearly 40 years, well, more than 40 years. Yeah. And it, there is no magic formula. It's, it's everything I do is bespoke and has its own issues and benefits and surprises and detriments and everything so what i love about your your um your your work that you've done historically is the just the sheer range of stuff you've had a go at and obviously now you say you just do stuff i, th- I think it makes sense to me because i'm looking at you know obviously the urban system seven and but then you've done stuff with like you know the charlatans and banana armour. I mean, you wouldn't put the charlatans and banana armour in the same sentence normally, would you? Oh. and uh, And Vanessa May, you yeah. know, and stuff like that. Well, so I've got a lot of respect for that kind of eclecticism.
0: Thank you. Well, you know, it's you know, starting to do... I, I, I did a lot of classical... Uh, contemporary classical, classical crossover so I could get the experience with the orchestras because I wanted to get into symphonic music. Finally, actually wrote a symphony that's almost there. There's a YouTube of a work in progress of it that's going down well. But I I recognised I needed the experience, you know, I'm I'm self-taught. I mean, I love diversity. I I embrace all those contradictions. But as you know, you know, if you're going to go into a different genre, effectively it's a lot of work it takes a lot of time and experience to understand what that is even as a fan you know um but i you know i've always been a fan of pop and then i got into the 70s i really got into sort of electronic music avant-garde you know early post-punk electronic the normal daniel you add him on and you know all those pioneers low eno,
1: eno Oh yeah big
0: thing. we signed to eg records with we're killing joke rather than go to polydor virgin or island all of which i would have been really happy to be but we went with eg because eno was on eg yeah exactly and, you know and that was it you know and um i, I have a great experience working um producing and writing with roger eno his, his brian's oh, yeah, yeah. is uh, a couple of albums ago for him and doing getting him on some warb recordings and uh, that was a real moment because me and Alex used to listen to his music and Brian so much uh, when we were in our early twenties and teenagers. um It was so important for us, and still, his conceptualizations and ideas and philosophies with music are, are still astounding for me. And yeah. you know, I, I still, I
1: still. Well, he, was an, he was an original, wasn't he? And and. and... You know, the weird thing is, later this afternoon, I'm going to his house. OK. <laughs> he's, he's hosting a an Ivers Academy, um, which I'm on the board of, he's hosting an Ivers Academy uh, Music Declares Emergency panel um, about what the music industry can do for, you know, the, the climate emergency. OK. I don't know what. Stop touring, probably, is the answer. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah
1: sorry are you involved in um in, in uh, any kind of activism climate change or otherwise
0: well oh, i've been in killing joke for 45 years I mean, yeah. killing Joe be banging on overtly about climate change and uh, the sort of uh news and the Political conundrums. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm very much, I, you know, I probably describe myself as a, you know, anarchist with left wing leanings, um, uh, a utopian.
1: Yeah.
0: I just made a, a record with Penny Rimbo from Crash, you know, and uh,
1: oh, really? you know,
0: and so I, artists like that. I mean, Penny especially. <laughs> They really kind of have helped me navigate my political, personal, uh, and you know, uh, universal politics. But also kind of combined with a healthy uh, respect for spirituality, whether it's Tibetan Buddhism or uh, Shivaism or things like that, yeah, which yeah. all kind of give you like uh, an informed. Uh, sense of responsibility um and uh yeah i mean i've i've done some support uh, for certain other groups i've support extinction rebellion even though i'm not sure about the name but i love what they're doing and uh you know i like uh
1: you're not super glued yourself to the m25 yet then
0: oh hmm. no no but i love the uh the, the uh, who were the people who were who were plant drilling holes in the in the M25 and planting flowers and trees <laughs> and uh, but,
1: uh, yeah
0: well yeah I'm, I'm very supportive of all of that um and uh, I'm I'm just a little bit um cynical about you know personality politics um party oh, yeah. politics seem a bit redundant today as well a little bit um but uh yeah, I think uh, everybody has to address those questions now. I mean, it, we are like on the ticking last few seconds. And I've been doing a lot of work with uh, a guy you know, actually, Dan Morrell. Um, That's right. I'm
1: doing a little bit of work with him, as you know. so uh, My
0: yeah. balance project, and before that, he came up with the carbon neutral thing and planted yeah, a lot yeah. of trees. I still of the opinion, the best thing you do for climate change is plant trees, you know. I planted a lot of trees in my uh, place in Spain and around and with Dan. And, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, anything like that. I'm also into, interested in native traditions, shamanic traditions, shamanic psychedelics. All of those, I think, help give you a deeper awareness and understanding of the fragility of the balance of the planet. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm totally, yeah. Damn, well, that? I'm
1: saying I'm saying uh, Martin Youth Lover for president. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <But> <laughs> <I> <laughs> we need somebody like you, definitely. I d- I, d-
0: I think maybe Gina Birch from the Raincoats. Let's make her president. I think she. Oh, okay,
1: like,
0: fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. well, <laughs> you're pretty organised. I'm a bit too sort of. Uh, Last, I, I do a lot of painting and I write poetry. So I'm just. I'm like this dreamer who's got his head in the clouds most of the day so I probably wouldn't make a great politician. (laughs) Possibly I'm happy to sort of, uh, you know, do some Darshan with them. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There are a few good people out there um, and, you know, it's such a tricky one isn't it
1: yeah. yeah it really is it really is so what's next for you what What are you uh, up to at the moment i like the idea of this symphony thing you were talking
0: yeah about. the symphony and that's called symphony of the end of the world and it's got the syrian national orchestra on it i recorded at abbey road and i'm just getting a symphonic symphony in the s- tradition of um the rites of spring and uh oh great so i've got uh a friend who's interested in staging it The berlin opera is director there wow. jonathan moore and uh yeah some great plans for that um but obviously it's a huge epic work it's gonna take years and years for it to come to fruition um i've just done a symphonic work with penny from crass um corpus day and that's out on one little independent in november and that's penny rimbo and youth album um, and that's me doing symphonic soundscapes with him doing sort of tone poems, sort of John the Baptist like. Um uh and he's he's a great orator for that. And uh
1: and Where's the money come from for this? I mean it sounds like an expensive business. I've you know,
0: all the success I've had I've plowed back into building studios, allowing, giving me time to do projects that don't have big budgets, but things I really want to do, whether it's Penny or uh, Crash Remixes or whatever. Uh, So I have a few studios in the house here, two or three assistants now, and, you know, I I just spend a lot of time making records, you know, uh, just wrapping up Laura Logic from X-Ray Specs' uh, new album, just starting, Gina Birch from the Raincoats her solo album. Did a Vivian Goldman debut album this year, which has gone down really well. Uh, the big one this year is You, Roy, which, uh, which is... Wow.
1: How just,
0: old is he now? Uh, he died of COVID uh, last year. And, um, oh,
1: shit. That's right. Yeah. <laughs>
0: uh, but you know santa gold uh, jesse royal uh you know it's a ziggy marley it's a big album been number one on the us uh, college radio charts the last four weeks i mean that's blowing up and last year um uh, well earlier this year it was released no it was released last year it was the last toots and the House album again toots unfortunately died tragically at his launch party for the album in jamaica oh. um it's
1: like Tommy Cooper going on stage, isn't it, I suppose?
0: I was talking about Tommy Cooper last night, because when I grew up in Slough, outside the Slough cinema, and Slough was just a big building site in those days, so just building it, because it was a new town. But outside the old cinema where i go for Saturday morning movies was a joke shop that was run by Tommy Cooper's twin brother. <laughs> and he'd wear the fez, so we'd come out of the cinema. From him, give us a routine it was amazing i love Tommy cooper i mean comedy i think and black comedy um is what's got me through a lot of my biggest yeah. hurdles yeah you know killing joke i think we got the name from although it's debated by the other members of the band but i'm pretty sure we got it from a, a monty python episode called the killing joke and it, monty python sums it up is now i think everything's a miracle i i, I I can't believe anything works, considering how I know (laughs) (laughs) You know? So, uh, I think you've got to laugh at it. But I think there's a profound, sublime uh, beauty to it all as well. In our mistakes, in our frailty, in humanness, you know? Um, and that's one of the reasons I love being a producer. I love working with people getting know people working with artists, encouraging them with their mistakes really <laughs>
1: okay so so here's the thing what's clear to me is that um you you're similar to me in a lot of respects in as much as you don't do things necessarily for uh, to be perceived as successful in commercial terms however you're not averse to doing that because it helps you pay for your passion projects that clearly are going to lose money possibly even um, and the question is what I, I suppose I know what the answer is but I'd like to hear you talk about it um, when, I was, when I got to the age of 50 I, I committed to doing something creative every day because I realized I did an audit in my life and realized that being creative was what really m- made my life worth living. And uh, I think you're a similar kind of person by the sound of it. Would you regard that to be the case?
0: Absolutely. I mean, my epiphany was going to India, really. And
1: uh, then I realised,
0: you know, um, that's a weird thing in time, isn't it? Because actually, well, I spent 10 years and I had a house in India. But when I was in India, I'd never do any work. But <laughs> I do a lot of hanging out. And then I come back and work six months in London every day, solid. I can be quite polarised in my personality. But, yeah, certainly it's um, to be aware of of, of your mortal coil and, and the opportunities you have while you're in this space you know, flesh and body existence um, is 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 really important. And as you get older, you realise how much time you wasted just through insecurity and uh, not having the confidence to jump in. And yes. um, as you get older, that's what you—that's what we do as producers. We give the artists the, the confidence to jump in off the cliff and be fearless. And we recognise that's where the magic is. That's where the yes. is. Um and, and we become confident about and not afraid about jumping into that abyss as well. But nevertheless, every day I wake up and I'm confronted with a blank page, generally, whether it's a painting or a, a, a writing or, or or piece of music. And you know, in the mornings I'm a sensitive cat. I can be like, God, you know, it's either a cup of coffee or the noose, you know. And then I'll be <laughs> and then I'll look at the painting, and I go oh, actually. That bit's not bad, you know. And then yeah, yeah. a about music, I go actually that chorus is really good. And then I will have another coffee and do a bit more, and you know, and that's how it starts. And so people don't realise that's that's what you know artists face every day. Generally, the ones that really understand it because they understand their own failings and insignificance. Even though we may have made some classic, timeless pieces of work. But the next day, all the rules have changed. Everything's, and we're back at that square one, looking at the blank page. So- yes,
1: I'm always, I'm always saying to people, uh, a particularly young artists, because I do a bit of teaching as well, is, you know, do, be true to yourself. Treat yourself. You know, give yourself some s- self-respect as an artist, and and go trust your intuition. If you think it's good, then there's a chance that. There's a good chance somebody else will think it's good, and if you think it's good and nobody else thinks it's good, you should change direction, <laughs> you know, because you know you've got to you got to do stuff, make a uh, document it, make a piece of art, whatever it is—music, poetry, painting, photography. Move on, because you, you're a different person every day. That's right. That's what I keep saying to him. And if it, that's why I ended up, I've said, I've told this story before, but working with somebody like Green Gartside, you know, who I regard to be a genius. Yeah. But he can't let stuff go. Yeah. He can't let stuff go. He worked on them for years and revised and revised and revised. Yeah. And you ended up with something that felt a bit overwrought and a bit, a bit kind of ironed out, you know? You oh, in roughness,
0: and the great thing with music and art is it doesn't lie, it's what it is. So, if it's if it, it's if it sounds over considered, it is and if it sounds raw and visceral, then it is, you know, um, we can we can play around with that a bit, but essentially, it's a mirror of what's going on. And uh, but I think the most important thing is to learn how to love yourself. The problem is, you've got that paradox between becoming a self-obsessed ars- narcissist <laughs> but all and someone who's self-loathing and hates everything they do. And somehow you've got to find a place in the middle where you can... The, the
1: worst part, the, the, worst, the worst combination is a self-loathing narcissist. You are that... It's that's, like all, that's mainly what we got in Parliament, there. You know,
0: and and, and all, all introverts are extroverts, and all extroverts are introverts. There's two, <laughs> five, two, two sides to every coin, isn't there? And, but I think in in uh, like the Tibetan Buddhists would say, it's about the annihilation of the false ego, and sometimes that's the narcissist side of it. You have to rebalance that out with getting your hands dirty, helping people out on a very real level. Um, yeah. And bring yourself back down to earth a bit, and and just get on with um, you know being helpful, you know. Um, yes. Yeah. And sometimes the genius comes with, through the back door, you know. I'd, it's a very hard one to unpack, isn't it? But essentially, you've got to find balance and equilibrium, you know, um, that enables you to get up on a stage and have the to do that, but also to be able to have some objectivity and. And, uh, and some kind of perspective on it as a piece of art rather than just a, a, a splurge of self-expression though so all of those can be equally valid and not valid as well. So I mean it's, they're just whatever rules you construct you're gonna have to dismantle and destroy you know but again you know I like that Dionysian thing you know of, of, of the, to create destroy to create you know and sometimes burning a studio down like Lee Perry is probably my biggest influence is the most creative thing you can do even though it seems absolutely crazy and likewise some of the some of the records I've made that universally have been loathed by everyone (laughs) they are some of the best ones I've ever made you know so (laughs) it's like a poem you can't really validate a poem until it's been out there for 15 years you know
1: yeah i need to mature the
0: yeah. thing is to just do it anyway get it out and as you say move on to the next one and don't get too bogged down with it obviously there's a balance because like, if you're going to do a symphony you're not, to, you're not going to knock that out in a couple of days
1: you know
0: no 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 no, um, no exactly i find it's good to have a lot of different wheels spinning in different ways yeah Diversity is what keeps me fresh. Every day I'm doing something different, especially these days, you know, in the studio with the same artist for three weeks. Yeah. You can really chop it around. In Spain, I was doing two hours on this, a couple of hours on that, and the dynamic and diversity would keep it fresh. And, uh, you know, um, I th- that's something I encourage a lot of artists to do is, is just do it. Yeah, in its- yeah, yeah. yeah. The artist is very good at uh, uh, avoidance and I've and become very attuned to very sophisticated avoidance techniques they make, <laughs> <laughs> which will include perfectionism, you know, and, yeah, yeah. and, uh, and, details. and uh, you know, part of my philosophy with that is I think I have to be challenging to the artist in that way as, as their producer. Um, and so i I'll, I'll Gently but insistently call that as it comes, and address it as it happens, and challenge it. You know, um, with as much tact and diplomacy as I can muster. <laughs> you know, I think that's probably my best asset is is being a challenging producer rather than just a producer who goes, "Yeah, I love it, darling. Move on." You know, it's um, you you you, you have to build up an authentic uh, trust with the with the artist. Yes. And that comes from you being real and not patronising, you know. Um, but again, it's a fine, fine line—very thin and tender fine line.
1: <laughs> yeah, but have you have you ever fallen out with an artist that you are producing? Uh,
0: oh, definitely. I've learned. I've, I've got better at it. But one of one of my big regrets, but also one of my big releases, I was doing a spent almost two years, a year and a half on a spiritualized album. The first day we started, Jason brought in a 15-minute track. And by the end, we got it down to seven tracks. We're just doing the final tweaks. And he he was a master of avoidance and he just didn't want to finish. And I walked in and it had gone back to being a 15-minute track and he got the engineer to (laughs) oh my God, I'm gonna have to do another two years of this. And he had feeling I was pushing him too hard. I mean, another one was Axel Rose. I was involved with you know Chinese democracy that took 10 years um right. I, I didn't do 10 years I did about I don't know eight 10 months uh mainly writing actually and uh, and getting him singing again but I knew that was going to roll on for years in the end I pushed him to record and he walked away from that as well and Roy Thomas Baker ended up doing like five years after me on it. Shit. <laughs> I know. And those are
1: People things. don't see this stuff, do they? They just see the end product. Uh, and
0: people were saying, oh, how indulgent of Axel for he's lost the plot because, you know, he spent 10 million pounds, 10 years making the record. Who'd ever do that? And I thought, he's the biggest selling rock star in history. They've sold 170 million records. Um, you know, how many flops? holiday Hollywood blockbusters that cost 200 million a year you know come out every year at least half a dozen and people never what a waste of money how outrageous and obscene it is they spend that money on on a Duff movie but as soon as he spent 10 million on an album they were like oh it's disgusting I thought it was an unbelievable. And I thought well, it was a great album actually. He did really well, made a lot of money. And he was really pushing the threshold as an artist. I mean, I know he's back in the original lineup and they're back doing what everybody loves them for as a rock and roll band, but he was trying to bring electronic. he was trying to push the threshold. He got crucified for it. A lot of artists will, you know. I mean, once you've established um a, a kind of a template. There's a lot of pressure from the industry and the public to continue that, but it's the artists that are brave enough to break that and destroy it. Um, as we're talking, the destroy, create, die in and Bowie's a master of that, wasn't he? I mean,
1: yeah,
0: he uh, knows a master of that. Those are the those they those that fearless courage goes so far, and they become the the pinnacle artists, really.
1: Absolutely. What a brilliant, that was a brilliant exposition that you just went through there. I'm glad we we got that on tape. Um, All right, we're coming to the end now, it's just flown by. Um, But I always ask, as you probably know, if you've ever heard any of these like daft, uh, kind of your favourite things type questions at the end, which are daft in one sense, but in another sense they're incredibly revealing. Uh, and it, lead, it enables people who listen to the podcast to go, I had no idea he's that kind of person, you know, and no, no idea that was his favourite film or whatever it is. Okay, uh, And they go down a rabbit hole, you know, and yeah. then they find out for themselves, so... Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, anyway, so what's your favourite book?
0: My favourite book? Oh, these are terrible, these risks, aren't they? I mean, there's at least 20
1: favourite books <laughs> I've got. Well, one of them, just one of them. It didn't have to be I- absolute thing. Um, do that again? Sorry, I missed that. Count of Monte
0: Cristo, Dumas. Oh, brilliant. Engaged me with that, and that's I only read that the first time about 10 years ago, it blew me away. But uh, Outsider, Colin Wilson, mind blowing. Um, Be Here Now, uh, Ram Das, uh, I don't know, I mean, everything from um, Kez. Uh, Clockwork Orange Burgess, uh, to Lord of the Rings trilogy, to Herman Hess, all the Herman Hess books. Um, wow. I mean, all those, uh, Isabel Aliande, Murakami, now for fiction. Yes, yes. I, I, re- I read a lot of, I read a lot. Um, Dylan Thomas, uh, poetry for poets uh ginsburg i'm i'm doing a massive project uh, for the ginsburg institute at the moment i've been reading a lot of ginsburg and all roads lead back to bit ginsburg in a way and then via his lens back to Kerouac. and i just love that stream of consciousness
1: yeah 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 okay favorite film
0: favorite films okay again it's very dynamic i mean Glorious Swanson's and this, uh, Sunset Buddha. I What an amazing film! The original Blade Runner, yeah. Great, um, uh, great, some great, uh, Apocalypse Now. I mean, all the Kubrick. I'm a total
1: Kubrick, yeah. me too, but
0: me too. also I love, um you know uh seventh seal i I love uh, noir i've been reading a lot of raymond chandler in lockdown and so that you know uh, the big sleep things like that i love things that create otherworldly things you can disappear into i like a good thriller i like a good doco movie i mean yeah i mean so many i love i love all the sergio leone morricone movies. I mean, so much.
1: So much, yeah. Uh, TV could be a box set, could be old, new, doesn't matter. TV, yeah. I mean, I love all the
0: classic uh, ones we grew up with, like 40 Towers, Porridge, Comedy, you know. um, Mm -hmm. uh, But these days, it's more Netflix box sets. I I really got into... um, Spiral French one. I quite like foreign language box stairs TV. Spiral French uh, crime thriller, thriller killer. Um, possibly my favourite of the last few years, next to Breaking Bad, which was just off-the-scale genius, um, was Gamora, the Italian mafia one.
1: Oh, yeah, that was really good, yeah.
0: I, and the soundtrack's got to be great as well. I loved that. I kind of got really into zombie movies as well in lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was what really they? black, <laughs> wine, uh, all the zombie classic zombie ones, um, you know, walking. dead Was it? I got, I got I got
1: Night of the Living Dead and all that, yeah, stuff. The original, uh, yeah.
0: And the last one they did, the uh, the army of the dead was, was actually yeah.
1: not, uh, quite, oh, yeah
0: that as well Um, but uh, yeah I liked I just watched Quarantine too the other day that was pretty I mean Trashy Pulp Zombie I love that and I kind of like trashy TV I like trashy radio sometimes just as a noise you know not for long but I can't you know I I can I have to watch myself with TV because I can get quite locked into it I'll be watching how it's made or you know <laughs> <both>. <laughs> yeah
1: four in a bed yeah, yeah.
0: i don't want to be in bed or anything but I'll watch. <laughs> i don't have a tv in spain where i spend a lot of time so it's only movies there uh, or a little bit of yeah. a laptop but yeah i'll avoid a bit of tv but i must okay, a, uh, classics. classic so uh,
1: yeah so other uh, so visual artist or conceptual artist
0: Oh God, I mean these are all long evening conversations. I mean so yeah, be-
1: yeah,
0: the all the abstract expressionists, uh, warhol, um, contemporary more Billy Childish, Peter Doig, uh, Painters, I love, Van Gogh, um, I mean, you get Delacroix, Goya, uh, uh I'm, I do a lot of drawings. So I'm also into Mobius, right. um, uh, Crumb, 60s Counterculture, Freak Brothers. Um, uh, Who's the Victorian sort of deco one? Uh, possibly my favourite. Um, you know, Oscar Wilde era. Um,
1: not not the pre-Raphaelite brotherhood, that stuff, no. Yeah, that... Well, Lord Leighton, not yeah, around
0: that time. But he was he did the Yellow Book, um, and uh, oh, his name escapes me. Helmut Newton, photographer.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah.
0: photography as well, massive. Um, yeah,
1: me too. Uh,
0: and uh, yeah, yeah okay.
1: uh, moving on. Moving else? on. Uh, do you have any unfulfilled ambitions? Oh, many. I
0: mean, hundreds with music. I mean, the amount of people I still love to work with. Let's just start with Jimmy Cliff and go all the way to Dylan, you know. Um, and then I've got huge ambitions for symph- symphonic music, folk music. I've got my first debut solo album coming out in November, Great. which is kind of psychedelic folk pop um i've got huge ambitions with my drawing with books i've just started writing books huge ambitions with painting and directing films they just um i feel like i've just started
1: <laughs> you know so many people say oh i'm not an ambitious person i'm going they've all been fucking successful they must have had some ambition you know i suppose it depends how you define it but, I
0: um, i'm very ambitious i reach for the stars i mean even though i'm never quite make it i might graze it you know
1: yeah yeah okay final question um what's your favorite synth
0: oh obx uh, probably um ms20 yeah i love that okay just
1: put the kettle on i'll come in i'm just wrapping up the podcast two seconds sorry good timing (laughs)
0: actually i've just got a meeting (laughs) All right.
1: Well, this has been an absolute pleasure and thank you so much for doing it. And um, you're a bundle of creative energy that is a fantastic uh, example for young people, I think. And um, God bless you. I hope all your projects come to fruition.
0: Well, that's so kind of you to say and I feel the same about you and it's a great honour to do it for you. Thanks for asking. Um...
1: Thanks, mate. I really appreciate it. So I will see you, hopefully, in the flesh at some point. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? And um, let's get together at some point. Yeah, great,
0: great. Really enjoyed it. Thanks again. Thank Thank you. you. Cheerio.
1: Bye. Well, that was... um Enlightening, I think is the word I've used. Nice guy, clearly incredibly driven. He even admits it himself. Uh, and I think you'd have to be driven to have done the massive amount of range of work that he's done, you know, from, as they call it, punk tension music or, what's the other way, electronic, electronica, really, some of it. And then psychedelic trance, industrial techno dub, um the range of people he's worked with from you know Adrian Sherwood to the Charlatans to Banana Armour, Vanessa May, take that, Tom Jones, the Orb, System Seven. Um just a load of his dub stuff is fantastic. Um and of course Killing Joke, who I really like. I always like them. Uh, I've never gone out and rushed and bought their albums, but I've had a, a definite respect for for what they do. And how they approach things. Um, and he's a good bass player too, really good. Um, and I think, you know, this has been one of the most interesting and least expected of all the, of all the, um, interviews that I've done. And, uh, I'm really glad we did it. Big shout out to SJM Concerts for continuing to support the podcast. Uh, sponsor the podcast. Um, They're a great company. They represent a load of uh, great artists in this country and putting on concerts. We all need entertainment nowadays. And um, Simon Moran, who's the originator, um, is head of SJM Concerts. Thank you so much for sponsoring this podcast. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, How is everyone? How is everyone surviving? We are now in autumn about to enter into the potential bleakness of winter, um, but w- I, there are some plans coming up that are going to keep the whole thing going. I hope you are all feeling okay. Uh, feel free to email me on electronicallymartin at com If you have any suggestions for the program or guests or praises or grumbles or uh, encouragements. Oh, don't forget the Patreon site as well. If you want to help in a small way contributing to, uh, keeping these podcasts going, cause it costs me money to do them. Um, you can go to patreon.com slash electronically hours. And, uh, for the price of a coffee or a pint of beer every month, you will get, um, much easier access to me. You'll get bonus episodes, uh, exclusive to Patreon. Uh, you'll get, um, competitions where you can win prizes, et cetera, et cetera. Loads of stuff, basically. I think it's very good value, personally. Um, and, um, I thank all the patrons that have already contributed. We've now passed the hundred mark and, um, it's growing every day. So thank you very much and spread the word. Um, because it's still nowhere near covering the uh, production costs Uh, but we're getting closer and thank you for your help Uh, the good news is that uh, um, for now these episodes have been sponsored by SJM concerts thank you very much and uh, that helps a great deal in terms of me keeping these going Um, so next week I'll have somebody equally exciting for you thanks very much for listening looking forward to hearing from you keep your chin up Lots of love, bye!